Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. From AccuWeather, this is everything under the sun. Real news and real stories covering topics from the worlds of science, sports, and space. It's all the information you need to weatherproof your life. And now here's the host of Everything Under the Sun, AccuWeather meteorologist Dean DeVore. Friends, welcome in. This is episode six of 2023 of Everything Under the Sun. As we've uh, been getting your garden ready last week for spring, we certainly had some uh, really amazing warm temperatures in the eastern seaboard, but we got colder air and some stormy weather that, as this uh, podcast drops here on this Wednesday, is plaguing the, all the way from out west to the northern tier of the middle of the country into the northeast of New England with some winteriness. So uh, we've got driving challenges with the varying types of weather, and we're going to talk about driving challenges challenges, not only weather caused, but human caused, with a lot of uh, studies being done recently, including friends uh, at AAA doing studies on how bad the driving has deteriorated in habits and that kind of thing. Um, the director of driver education from AAA will join us here in a moment on our first race of focus segment. And we're going to look up into the stars in the sky. Lots of things happening, including an amazing conjunction of a couple of planets here as we go through the next week or so. Friends, sit back and relax. It's time to talk about everything under the sun from AccuWeather.com. We're getting into that time of year where you can get storms like we have this one going on as this podcast drops here midweek where there's tons of winter weather on the northern flank of the storm. Meanwhile, down into the south part of the uh, storm, there's more rain and wind and severe weather. And it's that dichotomy of uh, weather conditions this time of year that can make driving tough. You can go, if you're driving especially longer distances from spring and severe and thunderstorms into winter weather and icy mess. So that also coupled with the fact that Driving habits and problems have gotten worse. We've been talking about that with our friends of AAA over the last couple of years in the studies that they've done. Wanted to bring in the manager for driving training programs from AAA. His name is Dr. William Van Tassel. Dr. Bill is qualified expert witness, uh, certainly has uh, authored many um, books and, and, and treatises on how to drive well, and certainly has worked his way into that role with AAA over the years and earning his PhD in safety education from Texas A&M and a master's in research psychology from the University of Central Oklahoma. He's a, a great person to talk to, and we are proud to welcome in Dr. William Van Tassel to Everything Under the Sun from AccuWeather.com. Dr. Bill, I'm really anxious to get talking with you because so much to talk about. Um, you know, with your position here and, and what you do and trying to help people direct uh, in terms of driver education, driver training. I know this time of year when we're talking about weather and traveling, this is a challenging time of year, Dr. Bill, where, you know, we're we're coming out of the depths of winter, but we're still going to like, like, look at this storm right now that we're talking about as we record this podcast. We've got a wintry side that's terrible, quad cities up through Chicago and over to Detroit. And then we have severe weather on the southern flank. Uh, down in parts of the southeast with the uh, thunderstorms and tornadoes and folks traveling distance this time of year, they can go between those 
kinds of uh, different weather problems as they're traveling. And so it makes it challenging this time of year. It's bad enough to try to prepare for one kind of bad weather. But in some of these trips, people might be going through two or three or four types of bad weather. It takes a lot of uh, confidence as a driver to tackle on those kinds of things, right? It does. It's great to join you. And drivers should really aim to sort of look out for their whole trip. So if they're just doing a local drive and it's 85 degrees, it was 85 degrees here in Florida yesterday in Orlando area. That's one thing. You're making me um, jealous, Bill. But, Come on, stop that. All right. <laughs> you know, if you're driving from here on up to North Carolina or Virginia, something like that, shorts and flip-flops may be fine here, but you mm-hmm. need to know what the weather's going to be like up there. If you show up there and there's a storm going on or some icy weather, uh, you're in trouble. So Priority one really is surviving. So making sure you're ready for the destination uh, as well as being comfortable on your trip. And and that may mean having some stuff with you, some gear in the car. If you need it, great. If you don't, that's fine too. But if you need it, you've got it with you. Some cold weather preparation gear. Yeah, we talked about that a lot um, back when we were having that major winter outbreak right before Christmas. And a lot of people... We're, you know, below zero for a couple of days in a row. And, you know, we talked about uh, having people stuck on the roads for 10, 12, 14 hours. You you need to have protection because your fuel may run out in your car, not only uh, the fuel for the car, but your fuel. I mean, when you're trying to fight cold weather and that kinds of stuff, especially your body needs fuel. So not only do you carry blankets, kitty litter, right? It's one of the things that a lot of people say if they know they're going into a snow situation, get a big bag of kitty litter because that can create weight in the back of your vehicle for traction and also then provide traction if you get into a slippery spot that you need some traction. Um, And then, of course, uh, food and water. Um, It's uh, especially if you know you're going in and we'll probably have a couple of more of those sizable storms Mm -hmm. here, especially in the upper plains here as we go through the next couple of months that uh, you should be prepared in those kinds of ways. Yeah, should have definitely food and water and a whole bunch of other stuff, cold weather clothing and communications equipment, cell phones, chargers, uh, backup chargers, gloves, uh, the works, but certainly food and water. And you're right, the, the body starts expending lots of calories when it gets cold. So need to be expecting that. And again, if you don't need it, great. But if you do and you have it, you're going to be a lot better off. Uh, that's somebody who might end up in the snowbank next to you or stuck on the road next to you. And who knows, hopefully you'll have enough to share. But there are some some vehicle-related modifications or precautions you can take as well. And you mentioned the kitty litter. So at least two uses for that. One, if you get stuck, you can put some under a, a tire that's maybe just spinning and hopefully get a little more traction. There are some other products and, and objects you could use. There are some specific plastic pieces that you can buy to carry with you that's designed to shove under a tire. Uh, Or you could even use a floor mat, pull a floor mat out. Mm. And yeah, it's going to be messed up. You may have to replace it, but (laughs) if it gets you unstuck, fantastic. Then second, the traction. You know, a lot of cars are front wheel drive now, and those do better generally, typically in snow and ice and slick conditions than rear wheel drive cars. Though the today's technology is sort of evening that out. But in the old days, more cars were rear wheel drive. And the engine was up front, so that's where most of the weight was. So the right. rear tires were more likely to, to spin. So that's why you put a kitty litter bag of kitty litter in the back, or sometimes farmers would stick a bay of hail uh, of hay in you know, in the back and give them a little bit more traction, especially for pickup trucks because there's basically no weight in the back of those right. things and they're trying to fix that. Right. The, also the changing vehicles too with these uh, more and more electric cars and I now have a plug-in hybrid that I just mm. got a couple of weeks ago. They are providing a lot of weight with those batteries too. So that can be a catch-22 because weight 
equates inability to stop sometimes, right? And especially when it's icy and slippery. But, you know, thinking about the transition to spring too, Dr. Bill, is we're going to see a lot of uh, heavy rain, severe weather events now starting to crop up. And I don't think people respect hydroplaning Mm -hmm. enough because we're getting a lot of heavy precipitative events. And so I think there's obviously fear and loathing for wintry weather and ice. But I think some people are so cavalier when it comes to rain and flooding events, the way they drive. Sometimes it makes me a little crazy when I'm out of there and see how people drive in heavy rain and not understanding that sheen of water between you and the road can be almost as problematic as a sheen of ice in that situation. Talk about hydroplaning. Yeah, I think you're right on target there that people probably are more scared of ice because it's it's nasty stuff, extremely slick. Water may be a little bit less so, but still holds a lot of potential for problems there. So hydroplaning, again, the tire kind of riding up on that film of water can happen at speeds as low as 35 miles an hour, even with good tire tread. So it's a matter of speed, really, and looking ahead far enough to identify rain or standing water on the road. And I think One thing that we see, a lot of drivers sort of blame the wrong thing here. It's like, oh, my car hydroplaned. (laughs) Well, water doesn't cause crashes. People driving too fast on top of water or through water causes crashes. Right. So we need sort of a reset of the mindset of driving here. It's like, no, it's, it's on me, the driver, to make sure that I don't go too fast. So that's why it's so important to look at, identify, okay, here's a potential area. There's water on the road, maybe some standing water. Uh, and then second, adjust the speed way down. Now, if you go one mile an hour too slow, no big deals. No, you go one mile an hour too fast, you're all of a sudden, those front tires are up on that water. There's nothing to do but wait until those tires come back down on the pavement. You can't steer, can't brake, nothing works up there on the front end. So you're just along for the ride until those tires eventually, hopefully, regain traction with the pavement. And the faster you go in that situation, it's kind of a, a a multiplying effect, right? It's not just for every mile per hour faster, you're 10% more likely to hydroplane. For every mile per hour faster, that uh, gets incrementally even higher, the, the likelihood that you're going to hydroplane in that situation. So I, one more weather thing, and then I want to talk about the changing driving habits, which as the director of driver education and, and programs for AAA, you've got to be pulling out your hair because I know <laughs> I do when I'm driving a lot these days, especially on the interstates. But I think wind is another situation, especially now that we're so truck driven in this country in terms of moving goods from point A to point B. And I was um, in a in a very, we had a very strong wind event here in central Pennsylvania about a week and a half ago. And uh, it was a definite crosswind on a, a very open stretch of interstate that I'm on. And I was behind a tractor trailer and they were having an amazingly hard time keeping it at seam between the lines. And as all of our driver distractions get better. And we'll talk about that more in a minute or two. Uh, I think it's increasingly uh, a situation where even the truckers are having the same kind of distractions as us. And and in that situation, it's hard. So I think everybody, truckers and even those around them need to pay more attention on windy days, right? Does that make sense to you? It sure does. And a shout out to the truckers, because if they weren't out there delivering things, there'd be nothing on the shelves for us. We've seen that in the last couple of years with all the supply chain demands, right? Absolutely. So we we want to do all we can to share the road safely with them because they've got a tough 
job. They're driving long distances and they're dealing with these. They're far more affected by wind than smaller vehicles like general passenger vehicles. So the wind can be unexpected. Obviously, it's invisible. So for us as drivers, what that means is let's stay away from trucks. Let's give them the space they need to respond, particularly side to side, if they get hit suddenly by wind. So we teach in our programs, don't drive next to a truck. Let them have that space next to them, either left or right. Give that as a gift to them. So if you need to go buy a truck, get on by. Don't be driving real slow along and do a super slow pass. Get on by there and give that room back to them because they may need it. And in car truck collisions, it's always bad. There's there's never a good outcome there, and it's usually worse. There's too much the weight. There's too people. much weight differential there for for anything yeah. good to happen. And yeah. what I'm seeing more of is people passing things on the right. And look, you know, we are, I think, as a, as a uh, a society, used to that left pass. And I think as I'm a driver, that's where I'm looking. I'm looking to see if something's on my left side. If I'm now all of a sudden not paying as attention to things coming up because they're frustrated or whatever on the right side, I think that's where I see the truck situation being more uh, egregious, where people just are so impatient now that they're trying to weave in and out. Um, and that situation, um, I think, makes it even worse. Friends, we're talking with Dr. William Van Tassel. He is a PhD. He manages the AAA National Driver Training Program to provide safety education resources and expertise to all AAA clubs across the nation. Been in New York Times, USA Today, quoted, and uh, really has a handle on the deteriorating quality of driving out there. And especially since the pandemic, and I know we talked to Andy Gross about this, and I know you would uh, certainly have a lot of ammunition to talk about how the driving overall situation has deteriorated uh, in terms of people's safety, not paying attention to rules and being in a hurry. And I, and I think there's a lot to that. I think the roads were so open for a while that people got into really bad habits. Then as things got crowded again, they didn't get out of those bad habits. And there's some technology pieces that we're going to talk about here in a second. But this degradation of driving skill it's scary because so much of our lives are spent on the highways, Bill. That's right. And we, we have seen that for sure in COVID where there are fewer people on the road. The roads are still in, in great shape and people start adjusting their behavior. Driving faster, for example, very common, paying less attention to the road because there's fewer things to hit, fewer vehicles out there and less perceived need to stick to the basics in terms of rules of right-of-way and general laws. So all sorts of factors, we, we saw things get worse there. And some people might say, well, that's kind of counterintuitive. But actually, when you think about it, it's sort of intuitive because we as humans do change our behavior. And we've seen that time and time again called behavioral adaptation in all areas of life. And there is a link there to uh, technology as well. For example, when anti-lock brakes, decades-old technology first came out, there was a study done of taxi cab drivers, and half the taxi cab drivers were assigned vehicles with ABS and half were not. They found the ones that did have ABS, they drove faster, they followed more closely, waited late to break, or, to break, and they had more crashes. So they knew that they had that technology board, and they thought it would help them, and so they adapted their behavior. So I think we saw a similar thing uh, during COVID there. And second point, I think you hit uh, the nail on the head there is 
a lot of those drivers haven't gone back to like it was before. They haven't readapted their no. behavior to the current environment now where mostly we're back to, to normal in terms of traffic flow and, and density there. And so we, yeah, it's, it's changing our driving behaviors is, is tough when there's an environment, whether it's weather. You know, I used to live in Oklahoma City and first snow day of the year, 500 crashes in the city. Right. The next day, same exact amount of snow. We only had 50. So that right. first day, people just failed to, oh, no, it's snowing. I'll just drive just as I did the day before, which is clear and dry. No, can't do that. So, you know, and I think the other thing, too, is uh, technology has gotten so much greater in our cars, on our phones, and not to pick on it, but Waze is uh, uh, certainly, I think, uh, uh, an app that has allowed people to feel this confidence in being able to go fast and know where the constabulary is and where where they're where they're potentially going to get pulled over for speeding and i'm just seeing some you know uh, i drive interstate 80 in pennsylvania a lot between state college where our headquarters are in new york and there's a lot of open road there and you know i can be looking around and and i i try to check my mirrors you know every minute just to see what what's going on in, in that kind of drive and honestly, I've been where I've like, where did that car come from? I mean, they had to be going 100 to 120 miles an hour if I'm going 60 to 70. Just uh, and and that's you know that differential in speed, um, their reliance on the technology, their distraction, all of those things have increased. Things that are supposed to help us, we're actually using to hurt each other. To be honest, I mean, if you you could look at it that way, right? Right. If some of these Navigation apps are initially fairly straightforward. They help you get where you want to go fairly efficiently and identify trouble that might be on the route along the way, sort of real time. But then there's the risk of drivers getting maybe too much information. Information is great as driver, but getting too much so you start acting on uh, information, changing your behaviors, uh, particularly toward risky behaviors, change your, you know, adjust your speed, tailgating, whatever it is. So there's there's certainly a risk and maybe a a discounting of the reality that law enforcement is out there and they could observe any driver doing something perhaps that they shouldn't be doing. And if it's, uh, if that recognition gets suppressed or discounted or reduced, then that deterrent effect might be uh, less powerful. So ideally we don't have any driver develop this sort of false confidence. So no. bringing those technologies into the car, we still have to use them well, uh, just like we have to use the, the technologies that are installed on our cars hmm. well as, uh, you know, too, because it's up to the driver to use those things safely and effectively. Yeah. I mean, I'm very uh, thankful at times for my adaptive cruise control and the things and the, and the, and the, the lane safety and alerting me yeah. and stuff. But, you know, it's funny I'm so used to that in the cars that I have. And then I go rent a car or something else and I don't have that. And then I like, I'm waiting for the beep to tell me there's something beside me. And I, and I, you know, start and, Oh, Ooh, I shouldn't have done that because I didn't have the technology I have in this car. The other thing, Bill, that I see too, that's contributing to this, I think is the quality of our highways since the pandemic okay. with less money, less workers. I'm seeing things that happen potholes that aren't getting repaired as quickly as they once did um debris and we live in pennsylvania we get deer that are killed on the road you know it used to be PennDOT; they knew that within a couple of hours that deer was picked up i've gone and seen the same deer sit for 
three weeks to the side of the road. And so I think some of the the problems, not only are technology and us, but also the infrastructure itself. And I don't see that getting any better here in the next couple of years. And it may not. And we'd love to see those funds be released to maintain that infrastructure. But until that happens, really, it's it's on us as drivers uh, to respond to. And I say, use the word respond rather than react. Uh, intentionally, we want drivers to look far enough ahead to identify trouble points. And if there's if there's one thing that we could get drivers to do, if they would just look further ahead, that would be a huge win. That can identify objects on the road. It can identify potholes, any kind of problems there. And if you see those early enough, you can respond with gentle inputs so that those things don't become a real problem. But if drivers don't see them or have to react at the last second, problems can occur, can hit something, can run off the road, bang up against another car or guardrail. Uh, So we've got a lot of things competing for our attention that we let uh, compete for our attention. But if we can guard against that, get those eyes up looking further down the road, we can deal with some of those until those problems are fixed in terms of infrastructure. So, I mean, people think of AAA for directions, they think of it for insurance, but driver safety and education, um, talk to me about how AAA can help people in that regard briefly and what you do in in this program and what are some things that people by joining AAA can benefit from your expertise? Well, we've been involved in driver education since the beginning, since 1935. So we're coming up on 90 years here of involvement. So we had the opportunity then to provide some of the first curriculum materials to instructors. Once basically the licensing system was came into states, got to have a license to, to drive a car in every state. And so we've kept at it and we've had, we've, we've grown our training programs. So basically anybody behind the wheel, we have some sort of refresher or training program. So we have full length driver education programs for new drivers. We have refresher programs for senior drivers and defensive driving programs for everybody in between. And of course, we train our, our fleet drivers uh, as well, our roadside uh, responders. And we also are fortunate to have a research arm, a traffic safety research arm, AAA Foundation for Traffic Safety. So when a member, uh, when someone becomes a member of AAA, obviously they get all road service benefits there and discounts on all sorts of great stuff. Uh, but a little bit of that membership fee also goes into the foundation's research budget. And they do the hardcore research. They're looking at what happened during COVID and checking out what is marijuana's effects on driving and how did the changes in laws of states around cannabis affect traffic safety, all that sort of thing. So I think members would may not know that, or a lot of folks don't right. know that, but we're able to sort of uh, feed that need for ongoing research um, as well as the, and we take that result, those results and of course, integrate them throughout our training programs. A lot has changed. The roads have changed. Mm. Um, the vehicles have changed. And we are there to help drivers kind of work through that and stay current. And the, the vehicle changes ahead of us for the next 20 years are going yeah. to keep us plenty busy. All, yeah, all I drivers. agree. Yeah, in good and bad ways. But uh, Dr. Bill, this has been awesome. Thank you so much. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did talking about weather and driving and all this. Anything else you'd like to add before we say goodbye? I think it's great that you're covering. So, so enjoyed participating and uh, it's such an important topic. Maybe a lot of drivers don't think about this day in and day out, but it can be a real problem, a real benefit to driving. But if we can 
address these problems, uh, we'll be in a lot better shape. We thank AAA, including Dr. Bill and our friend Andy Gross, who uh, suggested this interview. And uh, we certainly couldn't be happier dealing with AAA. AAA.com, you get in there and then pick up your local club, and then you can find all the information we talked about. Just do searches. Great website, great information with our friends at AAA and, of course, all their services that they have. We're not going to do it literally right now. Please don't. But figuratively, we're going to take our eyes off the road and look at the sky. What's going on in the planetary heavens and the astronomy situation? Our friend Brian Leda hasn't been on in a while. He'll join us up next in our next segment of Everything Under the Sun from AccuWeather.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Whether you're at home getting ready for work, packing the kids' lunch, or commuting, listen to AccuWeather Daily. Subscribe on your favorite podcast platform, and you'll get the top trending weather story of the day every day. Welcome back to Everything Under the Sun from AccuWeather.com. As we roll on here, Episode 6 of 2023, let's look up in the sky, shall we? There's, uh, If you've been looking at the western sky in the evening, there's already these signs of this amazing approach building between Venus and Jupiter. And they've been kind of uh, with the moon here. And as the moons come out of a new phase here with a crescent moon over the last couple of days, as this podcast drops, it's going to be gorgeous this evening. And those two planets are going to get even closer. Brian Leda talks about that and some other things going on up in the sky overnight over the next couple of months here on Everything Under the Sun from AccuWeather.com. Brian, it's been a while since we had you on, and I wanted to talk to you because there's been some excitement in the last week or so with uh, stories about some fireballs that may have led to actual uh, some sightings of meteorites that hit the ground in Texas. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, there were two really exciting fireball events. Uh, fireballs, that's what we call incredibly bright meteors, uh, when you think about a meteor shower, a lot of what you see is just the size of, you know, a, a grain of sand or a really small pebble. Mm. These fireballs, they're bigger space rocks, the size of a baseball, softball, even a couple feet wide in some cases. And they were back to back. The first one was in northern France. And then the second one that really got attention was in southern Texas. And the one in Texas got a lot of attention because it happened right around sunset. So a lot of people were awake. They yeah. were out and about. And on top of all of that, it created a really loud boom, a really loud bang in the sky. So it, it turned a lot of heads. And especially now, a lot of people have security cameras at home. There was a lot of footage of, you know, images of this fireball, as well as that loud, you know, boom that accompanied it. 
you know, when we hear, when I see the bigger ones at night, and again, I think that's a really cool thing to think about the perspective of this. What we see at night is just a little, little pieces of stuff, right? And you said it could be a grain of sand and cause that. But sometimes I swear I hear a little, you know, like you hear a little bit of a sound sometimes. Maybe that's my mind putting in the, the sound effects. But you're right in the Texas one. I mean, there's picture. It was it was still bright skies. And then you have this thing going through. That must have been scary. And then I, I didn't follow up. Did they actually find pieces of this meteorite on the ground? I, I think there was speculation that they could have. I don't. I couldn't see if they actually did or not. Yeah, anytime that there's a fireball, there is a chance that pieces can reach the ground. Now, we're not talking it creates a huge crater in the ground, but right. um, some rocks do fall down, and they did find a couple in Texas. I don't know how big or how many, but they did recover some pieces from that, uh, as well as the one that happened in France. Yeah. And then the other thing is, I mean, this is a, a scenario where I, I think, as you said it earlier, we get more and more uh, footage. I mean, we know that NASA and folks have these fireball cameras. So, you know, it's 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 better now when we get these calls from our radio stations or whatever. We just we all these calls about these uh, this bright flash. What was it? What was it? And then we can go back now. There's a, a much more a verifiable thing to see these fireballs, but I just can't imagine seeing and experiencing that one in the evening when it's still kind of light out. Pretty, pretty incredible stuff. We'll keep following that story. Um, In terms of the near future, in terms of astronomical kind of highlights, one is uh, we've been seeing it building. They've been far apart, but we've got a conjunction coming here at the beginning of March here in the next week, week and a half. It's going to be pretty spectacular, right? Yeah, really a can't miss event. You don't need any special equipment to see it. You could be in the heart of New York City or Los Angeles where there's a a lot of light pollution and still see it. And that's Jupiter and Venus. They're right in the western sky. Can't miss right after sunset. Mm -hmm. Uh, They're visible for about the first two hours of the night. uh, So you definitely need about outside a bit earlier um, before they set in the western horizon but they're going to be coming closer and closer together as we head towards the end of february and the first evening of march that's when they're going to be at their closest almost appearing like they're on top of each other so close in fact that if you hold out your arm and then stick out your pinky finger they're going to appear closer in the sky than the width of your pinky and that's just incredibly close. Like I said, no telescope to see it, but if you have one, this is the event to set it up and look outside. I learned a new word with this, Brian. It's a pulse. This is a very close approach by two celestial bodies so that they are in conjunction, but no eclipse or oculation occurs. So yeah, I think I read we're like a half a degree to the naked eye apart, and that's basically uh, to our purposes right on top of each other. If you look at the full moon, the width of the full moon, that's what we call... uh, that distance in the sky is about one degree. Wow. So okay. half a degree is, you know, half the width of the moon in the sky. So that that's pretty close for two planets. Yeah. Uh, especially these two. These are the two brightest planets in the sky. So it's really going to put on a show. Yeah, it, it has been. Um, thoughts about, I know, aren't we coming off the, the comet situation that uh, everybody was exp- excited about? Did that turn out uh, the way we thought? Uh, did more people get to see it? Less people get to see it over the last couple of uh, months? See, the the comet you're talking about, it was comet E3. uh, That was kind of the nickname for it. Uh, It made its closest approach to Earth on February 1st. And there were some breathtaking images online. Uh, People that did, you know, they had a telescope with a camera hooked up that traced it for hours. Uh, But really, to the naked eye, the common observer, it it was kind of a dud. 
Uh, I went outside to try to look for it a couple times, and I think I saw it once. It was a little fuzzy in the sky. Um, it just didn't really, it didn't come anywhere close to that comet Neowise we had back in 2022. Mm-hmm. Uh, still some excitement, though, because we don't get the chance to look for comets uh, that often in the sky. So that alone, I think, that brought a little bit of excitement, especially here in the first part of the year. Not really any big events. Uh, so the prospects of potentially seeing a comet, that, that was exciting enough for me. But uh, I think overall, though, it just didn't quite live up quite as much as people expected. We've got a solar eclipse coming up later in the year. And Brian was telling me before we got on uh, camera and on mic here that um, if you're getting ready to to look at that one, um, you may be starting to get into a situation where it's going to be hard to find uh, places to stay in the path of the eclipse. Isn't that what you were telling me? Yeah. So the, the eclipse, it's happening on a weekend, you know, for once an astronomy event on a weekend. How about mm-hmm. that? Um, but October 14th, 2023, basically the entire U.S. is going to see at least a partial eclipse. So you won't have to travel to see that. If you want to see what we call the ring of fire, which is, you know, the, the part of the eclipse you really want to see at the height of it, the moon is going to be in the center of the sun, surrounded by a ring of sunlight. If you want to see that, you're going to need to travel uh, somewhere between Oregon and Texas. And first off, if you want to travel to see it, you need to make those reservations. Like I was telling you before this, uh, my wife and I, we made reservations in a really remote area of Utah, and there were hardly any reservations left. So if you're even thinking about traveling to see this event in October, you need to book now. (laughs) Uh, Because if you don't book now, you might miss out on it. It looks like the fullness of that goes from what, Southern Oregon? Um, down through northern parts of uh, Utah and then into Texas, right? For the for the totality, it's not going to be the same eclipse that we had in 2017, where you know day turned to night. It's not going to be quite that dramatic, but still, the chance to see a solar eclipse from the United States doesn't come around that often. So right. uh, we have more information about that on AccuWeather Astronomy's Facebook and Twitter pages. I tell you exactly where you need to go, uh, and almost as important as where to go to see it is getting the proper equipment to see it. Right. And by that, I mean eclipse glasses. Uh, there's no safe way to look at the sun without these glasses. They're really inexpensive, only a couple dollars online, and they're going to be hard to find as the eclipse gets closer. So uh, even if you're just going to look at the partial eclipse in your neighborhood, you just go online, buy these eclipse glasses now so you have them, rather than that last-minute scramble and not being able to find them. Brian, thanks for uh, bringing your excitement about astronomy to AccuWeather.com and everything under the sun. Yeah, thanks for having me and happy stargazing. All right, you can keep checking the AccuWeather.com site for Brian's stories and AccuAstronomy, which is our AccuWeather astronomical Twitter account. That's a good place to get all kinds of information, friends. It looks like uh, that'll do it for this week's episode. Coming back next week, we're going to attempt to put together a podcast talking about uh, earthquakes. I know that's been on top of the mind with everything that's been going on in Turkey and Syria. Um, Just had another round of some aftershocks that were above 6.3 on the Richter scale here the last week or so. Some things and lessons that we can learn from what happened there. And I get questions all the time about whether or not that kind of thing could happen here in the United States. We'll talk about that. We'll also talk about some other issues where the weather meets your life. For our guests, um, Dr. Bill Van Tassel and for Brian Leda and our executive producers, Ken Prell and Andrew Robb. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week as we roll out another episode of Everything Under the Sun from AccuWeather.com. 
Thanks for listening to this week's episode. Be sure to subscribe to, rate, and review Everything Under the Sun on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. And of course, if you have an idea for a future podcast, just email us at accuweather.podcast at accuweather.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 